Well, good morning, church family, and happy Easter. Uh, these are not, uh, this, well, this is an Easter unlike any other, probably, that any of you have ever faced. Uh, and this is not uh, the ideal way to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Uh, but uh, we do have hope because of that resurrection. And so with that said, I would like to invite you to turn with me in the Bible to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 today together. Uh, this is the familiar story of the resurrection of Jesus. And I hope that as we look at this story again today, maybe we can see it together with a fresh set of eyes and that we can learn from this story that brings us a hope that nothing else could bring. So Luke 24 and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. Let's read it together. It says, But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with him who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Stooping in and looking in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Let's take a second and pray together. Lord, I do pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. I do pray, Lord, that we would find hope. We would find the good news in this text that we so need to hear today. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Lord. Amen. Well, for weeks now, it, it seems that we have been living in a season of constant bad news. And perhaps you're like me and you feel right now, right now as if you could use just a little bit of good news. Well, you're not alone in those feelings. People all over the country, indeed people all over the world right now, are desperate to find just a piece of good news. And anything at all will do. Maybe you glue yourselves to the television uh, for the nightly news to, to see where we are in the flattening of that curve. Maybe when you turn on the news station, you pray, Lord, I pray that this is coming to an end. Perhaps you go to the news and you think maybe someone has made some type of an advance on 
a vaccination for the coronavirus? Well, maybe that good news wouldn't just do. You've probably seen several people, I've noticed several people, even celebrities who are getting on all kinds of social media platforms right now on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, however they can get the word out there. And they're trying to insert a bit of good news into all of the bad news that we hear on a constant basis. They're telling inspirational stories. Some of them may be telling funny stories and cracking jokes just to try to lighten the mood a bit. At best, they're trying to give people a little bit of hope in the midst of all of this darkness. And these stories may at best inspire us just for a moment. Maybe they'll even give us a good laugh. But ultimately, every single one of them will fall short. They will give way when the next wave of bad news hits our ears. At the end of the day, regardless of how many videos of children playing or how many videos of sweet grandpas singing to their loves through nursing home windows, regardless of how many videos of beloved pets doing funny things, The hope and the feeling of uplifting that these things bring us is only temporary. As good as those things may be, it's only temporary. So where can we go for some truly good news? Well, as Christians, we're all about the good news. This gospel that we believe and and, and that we celebrate this Easter season is all about Jesus, about his life and his death and his resurrection. This gospel that we believe says that for all who respond to Jesus by turning away from their sins and believing in him, that they will live with God forever. And this good news is true. It's good because it's true. This is good news because it is focused on Jesus Christ. So I want us to look at this familiar story in Luke 24, and I want us to hear this morning for a change, some really good news. News that's not temporary, but because of the resurrection of Jesus, it's news that's eternal. Just to give you a little bit of background on this text, Luke, uh, who wrote both this gospel and the book of Acts, uh, was a ministry partner uh, and a traveling companion with the apostle Paul. We know that Luke, by trade, was a physician. He was a doctor. And in the opening verses of this two-volume set, Luke writes that his intention, the reason he is writing these things, is to give an account of the trustworthiness of the good news. And he writes this to a man uh, named Theophilus. And we don't know much about Theophilus, but, but Luke says in chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, he says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses uh, and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, 
having followed all these things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things which you have been taught. Luke's entire story focuses in like a laser beam on Jesus. Everywhere throughout the gospel, Jesus is the center point. He is the focus. Luke reports the miraculous events surrounding Jesus' birth, a few stories about Jesus' childhood, and then he begins the story that makes up this good news. Story after story that show Jesus' saving work, that the kingdom of God had come. Jesus is at the center of all of it. He's at the center of it all, calling his disciples, teaching and preaching in parables, rebuking and confounding religious leaders, calming storms, casting out devils, healing people with all kinds of diseases, feeding the hungry, giving sight to the blind, giving hearing to the deaf, and giving words to the mute. We even see Jesus raising the dead back to life again. Certainly, this man, Jesus, brings with him the good news of God. But then, in the last week of Jesus' life, as he ministers to the crowds in Jerusalem, as he preaches in the temple, all of this good news seems to take a horrible turn. Everything seems to go terribly wrong. Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends and followers. He was arrested on false charges. He was put on trial in this bogus trial. And he was falsely condemned. And he was crucified by his enemies. And chapter 23 ends with this man who claimed to be God's own son being nailed to a bloody Roman cross being pulled down from that cross and being placed in a borrowed tomb. Perhaps what seemed like such good news to those who were in Jerusalem wasn't really all that good after all. And that brings us to our text this morning. And you see there in your sermon outline, I have four Uh, different points this morning, four different pieces of this story of the resurrection. And point number one is the women's discovery. The first part of this story is the women's discovery. Now, now the story picks up in chapter 24 with the same women. It's the exact same women who administered to Jesus during his suffering. And and they begin this process of embalming and burying Jesus's body uh, just a few days before. But they had to stop because the Sabbath began and they, uh, they observed their Sabbath rest. And as soon as the Sabbath had ended, at the very earliest moment that was possible, we find these women 
on the road back to the tomb where just a few days before they had laid the body of Jesus. The text says that they were up at early dawn. This was before uh, the light of the sun began to shine on that Sunday morning, and they were going there to finish the job that they had started. We know from the other Gospels that while they were carrying these spices and oils to finish the burial process and even to pay their final respects to this man whom they had loved, they were discussing how in the world are they going to get that gigantic stone out of the way so that they can get to the body of Jesus. They were expecting to find two things when they got there. A big stone in a dead body. Two very reasonable things to expect to find in a graveyard. But look down at verse 2 and 3 again and see what they found when they arrived. It says, And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but they, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Now, it's really easy for us, because we know how the story ends, to want to scream at the pages of our Bibles, look, look, Mary Magdalene, look, Joanna, look, Mary, mother of James, and believe. He's not there because he's risen. He is alive. Praise the Lord. But that's not their response. Luke says here that, that they were perplexed about this. They were confused about how these things could be. Perhaps they cried out, this is exactly where we laid his body. Where is he? Where could his body be? You see, brothers and sisters, finding the empty tomb, it doesn't bring about immediate faith in these women's lives. Rather, it brings confusion. It brings frustration, and perhaps it brings even greater despair. To add insult to injury, not only has Jesus died, but now his body has gone missing. Imagine if you were going to the graveside uh, to place flowers on the headstone of one of your loved ones. And when you arrive there, you find, you find that, that the gravestone is missing and, and the hole is dug up and you, all you find there is an empty casket. How would you respond? How would you feel? You would probably respond much like these women respond at the empty tomb of Jesus. Great sorrow and great confusion. But the story goes on. The story continues, while the empty tomb is not enough to bring them to faith and believe, God was not done with them yet. Now Luke hints just a little bit at what has happened in in verse 3. It's very subtle, but do you notice what he calls Jesus in verse 3? The body of the Lord Jesus Philip Ryken, who is a commentator, says uh, of, this, uh, of this verse, of this title that Luke gives to Jesus, is that this is one of the specific titles of the risen Christ. For it is by his resurrection that Jesus is declared to be the Lord. 
Perhaps you can identify with these women at this point. You can use a bit of good news today. But it just seems like all around you that the world is falling apart. And just when you think that maybe, just maybe, you can get a little bit of closure and you can start the process of moving forward, something much, much worse happens. And maybe today you feel confused by all that's going on in your life. My encouragement to you is this, that God is at work. Even if you can't understand how he is at work, God is at work. And you may not yet be able to put together all of the pieces of what is going on, but God is doing something and he will not leave you forever confused. Luke here is not using the empty tomb as proof positive that Jesus was raised from the dead. But he is, however, starting to put the picture together. He's starting to put the puzzle pieces together for us. So to show us that what God had planned had come about all along the way. And that brings us to point two. Point two, the angel's reminder. The angel's reminder. Now, when the women arrived at the tomb, they, they found that the stone was rolled away. They found the body of Jesus was gone. But they did find something else that was unexpected. <laughs> they didn't find what they were expecting to find, but they did find something else that was unexpected. Look down at verse 4. It says, While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Luke goes on to say that, that these women were terrified, that they bowed their faces to the ground, which is a really common response in the Bible when people see angels. It scares the life out of them. Now, these two angels speak to the women, and they do two things in their speaking. First, they rebuke them, and then they go on to remind them. So there's a rebuke, and then there's a reminder. Let's look first at their rebuke in verse 5. The angel says, why do you seek the living among the dead? Right? The, the angels, in essence, say, ladies, you are working on a false assumption. You are confused because you are really mistaken. See, you assume, ladies, that Jesus is dead. You assume that this tomb is empty because something or someone has taken the body of Jesus. You are working on a false assumption. That's why you're confused here to see this empty tomb. That's why you bring with you those spices and those oils to embalm a dead body. But you see, Jesus isn't dead. He has been raised. Now, certainly this makes logical sense, doesn't it? It makes logical sense for us to say, well, of course, his body's not there because he's alive. Why would you look for a person who is alive to be living in a graveyard? That's just creepy. That's just weird. But the angels don't stop at the rebuke. They go on to remind them of the truth of what Jesus had said all along. He, they go on to remind the women that Jesus told them that all of this was going to happen. 
It was all part of God's perfect plan from the very beginning. They tell the women very clearly, Jesus isn't dead anymore. He has been raised. Now, I want us to see something that's really important here. It's important for us to see that in in some of our English translations here of verse 6, we can get a little bit confused. If you use the ESV like me or perhaps the NIV, uh, they translate this word for raised as he has risen. If you use the New King James or the King James Version, it says that he is risen. But the word here is not an active word. That means that Jesus, being the subject of the one who was being raised, is not the one who's doing the action of resurrection. Now, this is a passive verb, which means that the act of resurrection is being done to Jesus. This means the best way, I think, to translate this word is that he has been raised. Now, go, the angels go on to use that same passive voice uh, three times in verse 7. It says that the Son of Man must be delivered. Right? The Son of Man must be crucified. And on the third day, be raised again. Now, why is grammar so important here? Why am I making a big deal out of this? Well, it's important because it shows us the fact that all of this was under God's sovereign control. This was all a work of God the Father. It was all part of God's perfect plan. Jesus himself knew that his death his burial, and his resurrection were all part of God's plan. That's why he prayed just a few days earlier in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. The Father's perfect plan was not only to crush his son. The Father's perfect plan was not only to pour out his holy wrath For the sin of man on his only son. But it was God the Father's perfect plan to raise his son from the dead. And that, brothers and sisters, is some good news. It's the best of news. But you have to receive this good news. You have to remember who God is, that he is sovereign over all things, that he keeps this world in his hands. You have to remember that God makes promises and God is faithful to keep those promises. Notice here that the angels, they're they're not making a case for Christ. They're not presenting the empty tomb and, and the folded grave clothes as evidence that demands some kind of verdict. No, they're calling these women to believe based not on the evidence that's seen, but they're calling these women to believe based upon a word that was spoken. This reminds me of the Apostle Paul. He says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
You see, all the words of Jesus' prophecy had come true because God's word is true. And God is a God who keeps his word. Here's how you can receive this good news. By believing the gospel promises that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died on the cross in our place, and that God raised him from the dead. God's word says, believe this and you will be saved. And even though every single one of us one day will die, our own bodies will be placed in a grave. For those of us who believe in Christ, who have received this good news, God will one day raise your body from the grave just like he did Jesus, and you will live with him forever. What's your response to this good news? Well, let's look at the women's response. That's point three. Point three, the women's response. Now, I love verses eight and nine here. I love verses eight and nine. It says, and they remembered his words. They remembered Jesus's words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to all the rest. You see, the women responded by remembering Jesus's words. And when they remembered those words of Jesus, they believed, they had faith. It wasn't the evidence of the missing stone or the missing body that produced this response of faith. It wasn't even seeing angels or hearing them speak that produced this response of faith. What produced the response of faith in these ladies' lives was the word of Jesus. They heard the word of God incarnate speak, and they remembered, and they believed. Oh, brothers and sisters, the word of God is a powerful thing. It's by the power of God's word that he spoke into the nothingness and created everything. It's by his powerful word that he rose Jesus from the grave. And it's that same powerful word that created the universe and rose Jesus from the grave that can break through your hard heart of stone to give you faith. James Edwards says of these women's response that it wasn't based upon the evidence that was before them. Faith is not a logical deduction from evidence, but biblical faith is a response of trust to a truth that's proclaimed. It's a response of trust to a truth that has been declared. Well, not only do these women believe, but once they believe, they immediately go and they proclaim this truth to others. Verse 9 says that the women went immediately to the 11 disciples, uh, minus Judas, obviously, who at this point was dead, and, and to all the others who were with them there. And they told them 
all these things. They recounted the entire story from going to the grave and expecting to find the stone in in the body of Jesus and not finding those things there and then seeing the angels and and hearing the angels speak and and believing in response of faith uh, to these uh, words of Jesus. They recount all of these things to the disciples. You can imagine that they didn't leave out a single detail. Well, brothers and sisters, this this is what happens when doubt gives way to faith. This is what happens when genuine faith enters into a person's heart. All throughout the Bible, remembrance leads to faith, and faith then leads to proclamation. All throughout the scripture, when faith enters in, the proclamation of truth is the immediate response of that faith. Are you proclaiming the good news today? There is a world around us, brothers and sisters, that needs a bit of good news. And you have the best news of all. Are you telling people about that good news? Do you realize that your proclamation of that truth might just be the very means that God uses to produce that same faith in the life of your hearer? Remember what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 15. He says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Our world needs some good news today. And we as Christians have the best news of all to proclaim. Now pray that we would be faithful to preach the gospel to those who do not yet believe it. Now you might be massively intimidated by that. Perhaps you're wondering, what if I say something wrong? Uh, what, what if they uh, ask me a question and I just get stumped and I look dumb? Uh, what if they don't believe me? What if they make fun of me? Uh, what if telling this good news is going to cost me something that's dear to me? Now, all of these concerns are common to all of us. There's not one Christian who doesn't wrestle with these concerns, but be encouraged. Be encouraged just as Jesus' words proved to be true about his resurrection. So his final words to his disciples are true as he commands them to go into all the world and to tell the good news. He says to them, Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Finally, I want us to look at the response of the disciples once they hear the good news. We'll see that it's not so positive at first. But again, just like with the women, God's not done with them yet. That's point four. Point four is the disciples' response. Now, at first, the apostles don't believe a word that these women say. 
Luke says in verse 10 that they believed that the women's words were an idle tale. Now, that word that's translated idle tale, it's a very unique word. Uh, It's actually uh, a clinical term. It's a clinical term, which is no surprise to us knowing that that Luke was a doctor. Uh, And one commentator says here, uh, Daryl Bach, he says of this word that it's a term that's used in medical settings of the delirious talk of the very sick. So when the disciples heard this good news that was proclaimed to them by these women, they heard this testimony of the believing women and they thought they were delirious. They thought that they were absolutely out of their minds. But then in verse 12, we see the apostle Peter's response. And this is a little bit different. Peter hearing this news gets up and immediately runs to the tomb. He gets there as quickly as possible. Now, uh, in John's gospel, we know that John went with him, and and John actually takes this opportunity to, to brag a little bit about the fact that he was a faster runner than Peter because he says that he got there first. Uh, but I, I've always wondered what Peter was thinking on that run. Perhaps he thought that the news was just too good to be believed. So he had to see it for himself. Now, remember who the Apostle Peter is. All throughout the ministry of Jesus, Peter has been the mouthpiece of the disciples, and that's not always been a good thing. Right? He has often stuck his foot in his mouth around Jesus. And maybe, just maybe, Finally, Peter has learned his lesson. Maybe, just maybe, finally, Peter has learned to believe the words of Jesus, uh, even if they seem too good to be true. Well, of course, when he got to the grave, he found it just as the women had said. Luke says that he went home marveling at what had happened. He went home marveling at what had happened. Now, it's not really clear here how Peter processes what he found. Seeing the empty tomb, seeing the grave clothes lying there, doesn't seem to give Peter immediate faith, just like it didn't give the women immediate faith. Luke tells us that he simply goes home and he's amazed. Now, I think here that Peter's trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. I think what you see here in Peter's life and in this short statement that he went home amazed, I think this is a moment of reflection for Peter. I think that it's a moment of decision for Peter. And perhaps it's even a moment when doubt and fear is beginning to melt away like ice and giving way to faith. Maybe faith is beginning to grow in Peter's heart. Can you imagine what Peter must have been thinking? Maybe he said to himself, I just saw him die. I, I, I helped to pull the nails off of that cross to get him down. I helped, I, I saw his body put in that tomb. And now it's empty. Could resurrection be possible? Didn't Jesus say that he would be raised again on the third day? Maybe it's true. 
I, I, I saw him heal sick people. I, I saw him give sight to the blind. I even saw Jesus raise Lazarus and Jairus' daughter from the dead. I saw multiple times how God acted on Jesus' behalf time and time again. Could this be true? Perhaps you're like Peter. You're trying to fit all of these pieces to the puzzle together, but you're just not sure. You can't see the picture clearly yet. And if you, like Peter and the other disciples, are struggling with doubt, I want you to know that there are plenty of reasons to believe this good news. We have all the evidence. We have the empty tomb. We have the testimony not only of the angels and the women, but the consistent testimony of these very disciples who didn't believe it at first, but in God's mercy, he didn't leave them in their unbelief very long. Each of them, thousands upon thousands after them, went along to boldly declare this good news to be true. And more than that, we have the testimony of Jesus. Do you believe it? Perhaps you think this morning that it would be easier to believe in Jesus if you could get in a time machine and you could go back to that first Easter Sunday morning and if you could see it with your own eyes, if you could, if you could see the empty tomb, if you could hear the angels speak, then maybe, just maybe, it would be easier for you to believe. Well, friend, if that's you, what makes you think that you're any better than these women or than the 11 disciples of Jesus? What makes you think that if these who saw with their own eyes all of the miracles and heard with their own ears all of the teaching of Jesus, what makes you think that you would have faith any stronger than they? They didn't believe it at first, and they saw it with their own eyes. It wasn't the evidence of their eyes that convinced them of the truth. It was the same words of Jesus that we have been given that convinced them of this truth. They remembered and they believed. I think all of us could use a little bit of good news today. I, I, I wish that I could tell you some good news that your family members are going to be okay. I wish, friends, that I could tell you the good news that all of the financial loss uh, that you may be suffering from will all go away. I wish that I could tell you <laughs> that there's going to be a cure for the coronavirus coming really, really soon. I wish that I could tell you that, that nobody else is going to die from this virus or from any other sickness. I wish I could tell you that cancer is going to be gone. I wish I could tell you that your kids are going to be okay. But I can't tell you that today. That would be good news to share. But I can't tell you that today. I, I, I don't have any heartwarming stories to tell you. I don't have any cute pictures of pets or kids to show you. I don't even really have any funny stories to tell to make you laugh. But what I do have 
is much better than all of those things put together. What I do have is the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is good news of of Jesus' life, of Jesus' death. This is good news of Jesus' resurrection. It's the good news that commands us to believe. It's the good news that if you do believe, if you do turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus and have faith in him, that you'll be forgiven of your sins, that death will no longer have dominion over you, and that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus, now bodily resurrected from the grave, sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. It's the good news that God is not done. That the story isn't over. It's just beginning. It's the good news that Christ will one day come again. And for all of those who are found in Christ, just like Jesus, you will be bodily raised from the dead. And we will hear the words of the resurrected Lord say, Behold, I make all things New. Now that's some good news. Do you believe it? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would believe. I pray that your word would ignite faith within our hearts. I pray, Father, along with the scriptures, I believe, but help my unbelief. I pray that when doubt and when fear and when uncertainty and the unsureness of the times around us creeps in and seeks to choke out our trust, Father, that we would remember your words, that we would remember that you did not abandon your son to the grave and you will not abandon us either. I pray, Lord, for those who don't have faith, that they would repent of their sins, and that they would believe in Jesus. I pray for those who do have faith. Lord, I pray that, that this good news would strengthen that faith, that it would be a reminder that you are a God who is in control of all things. And even though we can't see how the whole picture fits together yet, we trust that you are working all things together for our good and for your glory. I pray for those today who perhaps are doubting. They're unsure. They're like Peter, and they don't know how to put all of this together. Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help them to see their need of a Savior, that, they would, that you would remove all doubt, and that you would help them to turn and to trust in you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Lord. Amen.